You're listening to the Journey to Impact Fireside Chat Series with Gino Borges, curator of the Poetry of Impact, a platform for supporting the collective inquiry into deep impact. As a part of the Poetry of Impact, the Journey to Impact podcast brings to life the ebb and flow inherent on the path of impact, illuminating the interior journey of the hearts and minds of today's top leaders in impact. Here, you'll hear the intimate stories of those who push forward to overcome self-limitations and societal barriers, to co-create a world where one day all people and planet can thrive together. Hi, I'm Gino Borges, curator of the Journey to Impact podcast series. Joining us today is Eva Yazari, co-founder and CEO of Beyond Capital Fund, a nonprofit impact investment fund that supports early stage social entrepreneurs and enterprises throughout India, Kenya, Tanzania, Rwanda, and Uganda. Eva was previously a vice president at Interest Capital, which is an asset management firm where she specialized in due diligence and portfolio construction. She's also an active angel investor, the founder of The Conscious Investor, which is an online magazine and co-host of the Beyond Capital podcast. Eva is a member of Tonic, a global network of impact investors that invest in positive and social environmental change. And I'm proud to announce that this conversation with Eva is brought to you as part of a partnership between Poetry of Impact and Tonic. Welcome, Eva. Great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, well, I always feel fortunate to um, be hearing the stories of um, the people who start start platforms from scratch that um, I always ask myself, like, how does somebody get involved in investing so far away from, from where they live? I know in my own world, I invest very close to where I live and in terms of in the Western United States is where our projects are. And yet I'm just fascinated by the level of coordination and inspiration and, um, probably at some level, higher levels of perspiration as well, to just keep it going, the coordination. So let's start off with, what was the aha moment where you say, where you suggested to yourself, like, this is what I want to do. And, and from there, how did it grow into Beyond Capital Fund? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so I grew up in a family that had um, social justice um, as a pretty key tenant. And on one side, I had a heavily involved political family, um, including U.S. congressional member um, and, uh, and kind of local council member. Um, and my grandfather also um, ran a, a program after the war, after the second war, um, to provide benefits to his community. On the other side, uh, my grandfather started a hospital in Tanzania in the 1950s, and um, he had five children at the time. His wife had passed away, and he remarried a woman whose um, grandfather was also the governor of Michigan, and um, they moved from Michigan to Kisa, Tanzania in 1959. And um, the photos of them in Africa and the stories were something that were a part of my upbringing and really hearing about 
their lives there, what they gained, the people that they met. And my aunt, Betsy, who currently lives in Oakland, who was adopted when her mother died in childbirth and her dad was nearly 60 years old. And so, you know, she became a part of the family. And there are some great pictures of my grandfather, who's six foot four, holding her as a baby in Mm -hmm. the palm of his hand. Um, And so this is kind of, I think I can't tell the story of my aha moment without that background about my upbringing and what was really a part of me as a person and how I, what was modeled for me. Um, And so when I became a mathematician um, in college and somebody called me um, and said, oh, my friend is recruiting for an investment banker intern role. Are you interested? I thought, okay, you know, I have quantitative skills. I can, I can see what this is about. And, um, I started out in finance and ended up at a a fund of hedge funds where I was um, working with the activist hedge fund managers like Bill Icahn and Bill Ackman and Carl Icahn and those that rally for change, AKA corporate raiders, um, in certain, certain ways, or at least the next iteration of that in the public markets. And, I was deeply inspired by their actions for change. It just wasn't the change that I wanted to (laughs) see in the world. And that was, you know, a part of the fabric of my being. Um, We can dive in this, in this direction if you want to later on, but I also grew up in urban New York city and went to a private Catholic all girls school for most of my education, but ended up in a public high school by choice where I saw a lot of the structural inequalities and racism that are coming to the forefront now, 18 years after I've graduated. Um, And so uh, my aha moment was really bringing all of that together. Um, In 2009, when the financial crisis hit, I had the benefit of having a personal change in my life. I was met my husband and we were getting married Um, and so I kind of could make a clean break and, and start, um, in a new field if I wanted to. I also worked for a very entrepreneurial, um, partner of of the firm that at the fund of hedge funds that I was, that I was working at and learned so much about how to apply entrepreneurial strategies to finance. And so for me, it's interesting because I, I don't think that I, I actually think I over-intellectualized the beginning of my career in impact investing. And I didn't actually realize how much my upbringing had an influence on me until maybe four years in to running a small seed stage venture fund. And so, but the aha moment was really the, the, market opportunity, the entrepreneurial opportunity to provide access to basic goods and services and provide access to seed capital um, for the companies that were creating solutions and this next wave of innovations that we've seen grow over the past decade um, around access to healthcare and energy and waste and sanitation and even mobility, which is a newer sector, um, as well as agriculture. So um, my aha moment was kind of bringing things together intellectually. And then, you know, later had a second aha moment that this is all connected to my upbringing. And um, it is a part of, you know, deeply who I am. Yeah. 
And now how does it play out on a day-to-day basis in the world of Beyond Capital Fund? I know that's very occupying for you. I think the last time we talked to you were in the process of a raise. I, I see, I don't know where that is, but I mean, there's a lot of nuts and bolts that go, go on with running a fund. Um, there's also a lot of um, things that we have to confront that possibly just don't resonate with us yet. It's part of what uh, we still have to pick up that wrench and sort of tighten that bolt. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as, uh, you know, as somebody that's been able to converge, you've not only been able to converge your interest, but you've also actually turned it into action and it'd be really informative and insightful to sort of take us through what a, you know, a week, a month looks like in the practice of, uh, you know, being a fund manager that essentially allocates money globally. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I love that one um, because I really do love what I do. Um, and so the so basically, you know, a week or a month is really kind of, it's very process driven. I am very process driven uh, as a person. Um, it's how I'm able to do a lot of things as you read in my bio, but you didn't also say that I have two kids and, <laughs> um, and you know, take care of myself. Uh, and, and my family and my husband and have a great relationship, et cetera. So, um, in that, um, I do have, you know, I have a kind of a structure of a team, um, as well as, a, a pretty rigorous process starting from sourcing deals. And we have relationships with other investors primarily, but also accelerators and incubators. Sometimes we sponsor them, um, where we invest right now, we're going through thousands of companies, um, in a, particular, um, incubator that we have also been a sponsor of. Um, so funneling that deal flow to a place where we can review a deal. And that's often by email. We have something called a sourcing memo that goes out by email and then getting it to a place where we can discuss it on our team weekly call. I am, I would say that I would not be where I am without the incredible people that I work with. Um, when we started beyond capital, um, and I say, we, my husband is a co-founder of mine, but not involved in the day to day. Um, we thought a lot about how to make our focus on a rigorous due diligence, even more, um, I would say institutionalized. And I don't mean like make it like JP Morgan. I mean, just make it, you know, a, a, a kind of something that we can, you know, keep running like an engine and a smooth running engine. And so we recruited um, for post MBAs to come and join us as a part of what we call the due diligence committee, um, which has since been renamed to a leadership team um, with a few folks that have stayed on for many, many years. And we, out of this recruitment, we had incredible individuals give their time and their talent to our work in helping us find deals um, and do the, complete the due diligence. And three individuals really stuck. Um, and those are, and everybody else, you know, was excellent, but they were moving on to their next maybe fellowship or their full-time job. Um, but our chief investment officer, our director of due diligence and analysis, and our director of social impact are three individuals who have been super long-term volunteers and they have a day job, whether it's venture law or education consulting or working as a director in Sustainalytics. 
they all have their own roles, but they believe that they're having their second career at the same time as their first. Mm. And that's a direct quote from one of them. And I think that be that, that the day to day includes more than just me. And I, one of my core skills is delegating, not in the sense of, you know, you go do this and, you know, I won't be involved. It's kind of collaborative delegating and allowing for people with really kind of strong skills to contribute. And so, um, I think we've been able to do that quite successfully. And I do believe that people who are successful, truly one of the hallmarks of their success is contributing beyond themselves. And um, I think the people that have worked for us, and those are, those are volunteers, including the people that have been paid as full-time resources um, and full-time team members, all believe that they're contributing beyond themselves. Um, and I think that that's really, really helped to shape what it looks like to do, to, to be a venture capitalist. And then of course there's, there are nuts and bolts of getting a company from the screening stage, um, you know, all the way through final due diligence. We talk about 200 investments a year. We aim to make four to five. Um, and, uh, even that is not easy. Um, in our venture fund, um, we will increase the pace of our investing slightly, um, but we will also have more full-time resource to be able to do that. And I think there's a direct correlation between number of companies we can discuss and number of people we have involved as well. You mentioned this notion of contributing beyond yourself. What's that look like? I mean, how do you know you're in that zone versus... Um, fallen into the, uh, you know, potential default of like, um, maybe you're tired, um, or things aren't going your way. And so, uh, you know, our ego slips into our sort of our governor's seat at times. How do you know when, how, how do you know when you are contributing beyond yourself or the other way of looking at it when you're not contributing beyond yourself? I mean, what does your world look like? When you're not contributing beyond yourself, I think you, you are in a scarcity mindset. And what that means is you believe everything's a zero sum game. Mm. Um, you believe that when I win, you lose Gino and you believe that the pie is finite. And that's just not the way I want to live as a human being. It just, it just isn't. And it's because I know that more is possible. And I think that that's what my upbringing really taught me was service equals abundance. And there is no such thing as somebody losing when I win. We're all winning. And I'm constantly looking for the win-win. So I think to get in that mindset of abundance is really, really key for anybody. I mean, I would say particularly impact investors because many ways this is a long game and even, you know, investment, I'm not even just referring to investment strategy, but just the kind of the, the process of building out this industry can be a longer, longer game. Um, and to know that we can all truly, truly win all stakeholders can be included. Um, is really key. And from, in my opinion, servant leadership is essentially 
like taking a view of all stakeholders, serving all, 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 all individuals and beings and the environment included in that, that are involved in our work. And I really see it as conscious leadership. So, um, you know, that's something that's really important to me. In fact, at Beyond Capital, I believe that we're investing in conscious leaders and there could be a sea of tech investors out there that are, that, that are great. They may all be chasing trends, but what I really want to be investing in and what we've always tried to invest in in our portfolio are conscious leaders, those that are servant leaders and thinking about all stakeholders, as well as working on themselves at the same time. So I think, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, you probably feel tired, as you pointed out, when you're not contributing beyond yourself. Um, You probably feel... I think like, you know, not all relationships are working in your favor. Mm-hmm. And what I, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a state, it's, it's a, it's a term that I think is a bit um, specific, but you're not in flow. You know, it do, things don't feel easy. And um, I think that, you know, we, we always wonder how like some of the more successful people that we see you know, live their lives and make it all happen. And at the end of the day, I do think there are other things, you know, like positive mindset and being reliable and, you know, having a great team around them, but contributing beyond themselves is definitely one, one really important element. So is that part of the, um, if I understood this right, you set up your first fund as a nonprofit. Um, was it, was the service, uh, service leadership mentality, a part of why or that led to the strategy of setting it up that way, as opposed to um, sort of a common fund of like a two and 20 fund, or just in terms of like performance based for your team's work. Um, can you take us through that um, sort of thinking a little bit? And if there is connection to what you just end up sharing there in terms of sort of the service orientation. Yeah. I mean, I learned more of the technical terms when I worked with my executive coach and personal coach, Karen Eldad, in 2017. However, I'm a trained yoga instructor, and I um, have had a relatively deep yoga practice. I don't define that as doing sun salutations every single day. Um, I define it as, you know, a whole life strategy, um, you know, for almost 20 years. And... um, And so what I learned as a part of my yoga training was yoga off the mat. Um, I've also studied Hinduism um, and the concept of seva um, and service as part of your faith. I grew up Catholic. Um, I still, you know, am kind of in awe of Jesus as an icon, um, but I'm not a a practicing Catholic, um, although celebrate all the main holidays. Um, and so for me, really the kind of the spiritual side is rooted in gratitude and service. Um, and so beyond capital was a hundred percent expression of that. Um, how can I use my skills to give back? Um, but do so in a way where, um, I was creating sustainability, um, you know, keeping in mind core principles, um, of, it was not defined this way at the time, but of a stakeholder model. So it's not just about selling the product and the impact. It's also about the employees and the founders and, in, and inclusion and investing in biased financial systems. 
Um, but the reason we set up as a not-for-profit not for profit was because we had tremendous resources in our network, um, including pro bono legal support um, and financial modeling assistance and the ability to attract the, the, the three individuals that I mentioned um, to draw in towards our work. I think the wealth of our networks was not always and was not primarily capital. And now we're living in a time where finally we are acknowledging that wealth is not money and it can be your relationships. It can be your networks. It can be even your social media account. Um, it can be your voice. And so when, when my husband and I, who man and I started beyond capital, we thought about what's the best structure to draw in all these incredible resources. And it ended up being a nonprofit, um, which created an evergreen fund that will, live on to the future. And during the time of COVID, we've continued to invest, even though we're raising our second fund. Um, so we're making our 12th investment and our potentially our 13th in the next weeks to months. Um, and so when we get the capital back and we have had some exits and a few debt repayments, full, full on loan repayments, we just reinvest that into the next entrepreneurs. And to me, that is kind of the ultimate vision of sustainability is, is the evergreen structure. Now my new fund is not evergreen. It's a, it's, it's a new way of thinking about our work and those that want to support our work in a limited term structure, uh, albeit, you know, longer term 10 years with two, two year extensions. You, um, I'm really drawn to the service component. Um, and it feels to me like one of the uh, ways you're also serving is actually creating community. Um, whether it's in the context of the Conscious Investor, your online magazine co-host of the Beyond Capital podcast. And in some ways, what you just got done describing, your impact investment fund is actually um, a community alliance building type of network as well. Can you take us a little bit through on uh, on the why around you 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 touched on it in the fund, but then you're going beyond. You're 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 going online magazine, so a lot of content generation for purposes of what I feel like are creating um, ident potential identification moments for people to enter this space um, in some ways, and it's hard. You know, it's it's hard to actually um, create. Um, community in meaningful ways that, that, I mean, don't feel commodified, that actually feels genuine. I'd like to know how, like, all the dots sort of connect to some extent. I feel like Eva has a sense that it's all connected. While it seemingly suggests all these different titles and all these different things, it's like it's all connected. So take us into that essence of connection between all of this. You totally hit the nail on the head here. Um, and I'm so grateful that you have thought about it that way because it's true. It's all connected. Um, so, you know, starting out as an investor, learning about more about impact, understanding where my impact um, through Beyond Capital and also through my personal portfolio fall in line with the industry. And having a decade plus to observe um, impact investing and impact investors, um, I really, really deeply felt that 
there was a potential to speak to a wider audience about impact investing. I mean, it's a kind of a silly anecdote, but the number of dinner tables I've sat at over the past 10 years with people who have significant means and are not using their money as a way to express their values is in the hundreds, maybe even thousands. I'd have to do the math. I'm kind of, I like to be precise. So um, I'll get back to you on that number. You can put it in the show notes. But, um, and that really created like a major aha moment for me. Um, it, It, you know, it was, there's more to this. And my work, which is always going to be at the core of what we do, um, you know, being an investor, because that's what I love. I love the deal process. I love, I love money as a tool for good. Um, I love business as um, kind of a, a way to imbue change and bring purpose and meaning. Um, but it really is going to be the beachhead for something more that draws in not only pro bono contributors or maybe donors or investors or collaborators um, and new friends and relationships um, that go beyond just my specific work. And the story of the podcast and the online magazine are quite just magical um, in the sense that I met the right partners at the right time. Um, the podcast is was a, out of a YPO, Young Presidents Organization collaboration. Both Ed and I are members of YPO and we were serving on a board of the personal investing network together and kind of just said, oh, you know, we want to do this podcast. Oh, we, we just so happen to both live in Dallas. And it, and it, and it worked out um, extremely well. And what's interesting about the podcast, and I think um, unless you listen to the podcast, is somewhat misunderstood with the name, is that it's not about Beyond Capital. It's about the concept of Beyond Capital and how businesses are using purpose as a tool um, to engage stakeholders, to drive profitability, to express their own values. And so it's just, you know, purpose-driven leaders, um, and interviews with them. And then with the conscious investor, um, I was lucky to, um, have the frankly moment of inspiration to reach out to Goop, which is Gwyneth Paltrow's blog, um, now much more than a blog, essentially a blog, um, in the starting days, because there was this narrative, again, coming back to the dinner table of like, detox your, your diet, detox your skincare, detox your house and your cleaning supplies. But there was nothing about money. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote to the chief content editor and a content creator. And I said, look, you know, here's what I'm doing. I'd love to do a piece. So we did two pieces together. And the editor ended up being the now edit- editorial director of The Conscious Investor because we had such a great rapport and she's an excellent writer. Um, but really... This, these platforms enable me to tell other stories that don't always fit into my investing. So I don't have to say, oh, that's not in my wheelhouse or that's not my geography. I really can share these stories in a meaningful way. And how it connects back is um, people get inspired by that. And maybe it's, you know, to give you an example, a Harvard Medical School trained doctor um, who has joined us as an ambassador, which is a program where we 
provide virtual education to individuals through Beyond Capital um, in exchange for a donation around the topic of impact investing and how to keep a finger on the pulse of this new and exciting world. And, you know, she's one perfect example of somebody who um, was inspired by the content and wanted to learn from it. Um, So I think really at the end of the day, the community is, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's all in the same in the sense that this is kind of just all an expression of me. And I'm really lucky to have people that are willing to work with me on it. Yeah. So while on this topic of uh, wholeness and integration, uh, you mentioned earlier about this whole life strategy that, um, that you've been involved in and practicing and uh, identifying with over the past, I think you mentioned 10, 10 or 15 years, or even maybe 20 years uh, now. What's it um, like? Like, what does Eva's life look beyond? You mentioned a little bit about your yoga practice, and it's not about vinyasas, um, you know, doing doing that every day, but necessarily sort of this. And it's hard because the viewer doesn't, uh, the listener doesn't see me, but we just got done talking about your impact and network per se. And then let's draw a bigger concentric circle around that. Um, what, like, what are you doing out in the universe or out in the secular world or in the spirit world and the dance between that, con- that tighter concentric circle of impact, whether it's the magazine, investing, so that, because I know you don't spend 24-7 there, um, and I know you want to show up in a way that feels very present and contributory. What's the world look like outside? Um, just a bigger lens and in terms of looking at your life. I love this whole person design. It's catching uh, more and more people that I'm interviewing are having that as a premise for their life. And so, so your stories and details and practices around that, I think would be feel really informative for I many people that are listening to us. Yeah. I mean, so I don't really link my impact investing to like a spiritual practice or one specific ritual. I link it to something I call inspiration, which is something that I um, have learned about again, through going through personal and executive coaching so like life coaching and then kind of having a leadership component to that. Um, inspiration is really when you act from your true self. It's put simply, it is, you know, it's whether it's always choosing the hell yes and not the hell no. Um, it's, it's really being able to know yourself well enough to know what the right decisions are. And for me, again, with my upbringing and having kind of social justice at the fore, it's been extremely liberating to live this way and to live my most most authentic self. Now, you know, there are moments where it comes into conflict, you know, I can't, I can't get up and storm off when somebody's in a conversation about a topic that I just feel is completely misaligned with my values. So there's obviously you know, being a human and having respect as an element of my core values as well. But, um, I went through an exercise, um, where I kind of walked through my core values and what 
they were and how they mapped to my investments. And they were, as I mentioned, kind of focused around social justice and innovation and leadership and wholeheartedness. Just to give you an example, there was a much longer list. And when I mapped them to the companies I had invested in, I was astounded. And so I, I think that it's not so much of a practice. Like I get up and I do this every morning and then I move on to that. And that's what makes me who I am. It's really about being in tune with, you know, what really matters to me and kind of living that to the fullest extent possible. Um, and, and being okay with the fact that success is always going to be a process, whether it's with my, my per myself, whether it's with my work, whether it's with my parenting, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it just comes down to kind of acting out of, out of inspiration. And that's really what you're seeing. Um, when you look at my work is really just kind of what I've been inspired to do. And of course there are the hard nosed things like what I think is working and resonating and market signals and things like that, but it all came from a place of deep inspiration. It's a muscle though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which, uh, which can atrophy if not used uh, for sure, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think it is a muscle, and I'm just meant to jump, kind of throw that in there um, because I've noticed you're right. It can atrophy if it's not used, and the more you practice it, and the more you really stick to your values, even if everybody else is doing something completely different, the more you're going to be in control of what you actually value being a part of your life. So uh, this term inspiration, you, you talked about in terms of um, operating from your essence, um, essentially, you know, the, you know, the Latin root for inspiration was this idea of giving breath to the body. And what I'm curious about is the extent to which um, embodiment serves. So, I mean, I, obviously, you're a very um, smart, process-oriented, um, socialized into the tools of finance um, and can talk that all day long and have been coached in it and have practiced it. But where does your body come into play in terms of, so if inspiration is sort of the curation for the curator inside of you, that's, that's, that's directing you. There's also an element of being in tuned with your body and feeling and that dance between the cognitive world that essentially can dominate even the world of impact and that feeling world, and how do you sort of navigate that dance and that space? Two things. Creativity. So um, I 100% agree with you that the cognitive world dominates impact investing. And I think that is problematic. It is the reason that I am so adamant about speaking to a wider audience. And, some, and my, the title of my book is The Good Your Money Can Do. I'm sure that is not academic enough for some people. And I am hundred percent okay with that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's because I think creativity is really, really key in 
bringing forth feelings that allow people to feel okay with doing good. Because until we, until we work on that part of ourselves, we will not be able to even touch the feeling of what the moral imperative is to do good. If we over-intellectualize, um, I think it's hard to have staying power in this work. Um, so I grew up as the daughter of two artists, luckily, and was dragged around New York City to galleries and hated it at the time. And now I'm so, I feel so lucky that I had that upbringing to, you know, get to see Jasper John's shows in person in the 80s and um, train an eye, you know, an incredible eye and have a deep, deep connection to, to, um, to art. And I do try to bring that to my work as well. And I actually see the conscious investor in particular as an extremely creative outlet. Our, our, our pieces are not written like the wall street journal or impact alpha, which are great sources of news, but they're written in a way that I think can evoke feeling and be more emotional purposefully. Um, so that everybody from, you know, practice impact investors. And we've had, you know, unsolicited feedback from group, from individuals that we would all know in the impact space through, you know, people that have not made an impact investment and are young and just building their careers in whatever field can, can access, they can really access that feeling. Um, so creativity is the, is really the main way that I'm able to access feeling. Um, as a person, I always need more of it. I have to continue, continually remind myself and, so, and it is something I have to continue to practice. But the second is I'm 36 years old next week and I've had two children mm-hmm. and man, you know, growing a child inside of you, I think, you know, not to say, no, you know, not to say there's half of our population that can't do that biologically, but having that experience, I think, really brings you into who you are as a person and being in tune with your feelings and your connection to your body. So I would say if if I'm, I may not always be connected to that intellectual feeling connection all the time. And that's why I need creativity as a tool. But as it relates to kind of feeling in body, I feel so grateful for, you know, having been pregnant twice to have had that experience and learn a lot about myself as a result. Let's take that last question, or let's take the last question and jump forward a little bit. Um, I totally agree. I think that's one of the premises behind why I created the Poetry of Impact, is this idea around that there's other forms of literacy that can actually support our impact evolution. In essence, um, a visual literacy, an emotional literacy, an embodiment literacy, uh, literacy um, an aesthetic essentially, to actually invite aesthetics into um, how we live, how we make decisions and so forth. What's it going to take? I mean, you're, you know, you're doing your thing, I'm doing my thing, and we're overlapping now. I I shared my uh, thoughts earlier in the month with, I mean, your team. What's it going to take for us as a collective, though, to really invite these, um, these, I would say, in scare quotes, alternative forms of literacy, essentially minority forms of literacy in a culture that is dominated by sort of a quantitative um, outcome-obsessed sort of lens. What's it going to take as a collective for us to give ourselves permission 
to say yes, or in your words, hell yes, to other forms of literacy so that we can actually evolve this space beyond the narrow confines of its current structure. Hell yes is a New Yorker thing, I guess, to say. That's that's my upbringing. But um, Gino, I think these things are already here. They're just not in our space. If you look at how millennials are communicated to, and on the lower, I, I told you my age, so you know that I am part millennial and part <laughs> Gen X. Uh-huh. And and so I can I can flip flap back and forth, but if you look at how millennials are communicated to, there's something different, mm-hmm. and it is more emotional. It is more feeling based. It is more stakeholder oriented. And I'm not just saying you know companies, big companies that we know, kind of you know marketing. I'm really talking about like young new brands that are innovating and are like direct to consumer communicating a lot on social. I think those strategies need to be a way bigger part of impact investing. Mm -hmm. And that's how this is all connected for me. Um, It's, it's just in my opinion, a way that we are actually going to move forward um, because it doesn't have to be academic or, um, it doesn't have to speak that language only, and it doesn't only have to be results-oriented. Um, now, I know that we're talking about big money, on the other hand, and things like that, but I think that you know there is something to learn from people who are younger than us and you know what they value. And I'm not just saying, oh, look at the trend. Millennials are going to inherit money, <laughs> so let's move there, because that's often an argument that's made without any substantiation sure. of what's behind it. But I really do think that, that creativity can be an incredible, incredible tool, and it's already there. So I'll leave you with that. And I think, you know, we've tried... We've tried, I think we're both trying, Gino, you and I, and many others, of course, but mm-hmm. here today, right now, we are trying to share that um, on a deeper level um, in a different format. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's great. And the last thing I'll say is that it's fun. Mm-hmm. And if we can recognize and be okay with the fact that this is fun and it's, we like to feel good and as humans, and we like to be connected and we like to do things that make us feel that way. And maybe think about the hard nosed stuff later on. Um, I think we will really be able to achieve what we want to achieve with impact investing. Yay. So maybe start with the soft nose and then, and then go into the hard nose. Huh? I wouldn't have said it 10 years ago, but yes. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, Eva. I, you know, for me, as I feel into this conversation and, and it just sort of dwells inside of me, I feel like you have um, really put together this collection of literacies in a lot of ways um, from taking the conventional uh, financial realm uh, from the one-dimensional realm to the three-dimensional realm and then even expanding the circles of potential understanding of what it means to live impactfully, invest impactfully. I think our last question, our last conversation, or excuse me, the last response by you, that suggests 
how your upbringing in visual literacy is like in many ways still front and center and it's where the joy I, exactly i mean in in eva's background here there's a lots of color um lots of pictures lots of paintings um and plants too in terms of desert plants if, if you see it appears there and i just think that this where this is where aliveness is i it's 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 this sort of this liberal arts renaissance-esque opportunity that we have to sort of um, move in and share space with the reductionist and say, look, there are times to use the hammer, there's times to use the shovel, but we don't need to use the, and not everything to the, you know, looks like a hole or everything needs to look like a nail, which is what typical finance tends to do. And your upbringing, which is very unique, the social justice, the Catholic uh, background, and then all of a sudden, like me, I grew up on a farm, agriculture, baptized Catholic as well, got trained in one-dimensional finance, eventually felt the shortcomings of it as well. And then in my mid-30s sort of evolved to be in the space now where it's like, hey, humanities can be a part of this equation. In fact, it not only can be, it needs to um, in order for it to evolve, provide access, which was a key term that you shared, to bring others into the space so we can live a more um, uh, you know, holistic existence and actually have the kind of outcomes that are that are embedded in our values, right? And I mean, I feel like you're really just doing gifted work. And so it's just so special to talk to one person who's actually putting together teams as working with uh, teams to actually bring and manifest this. So thank you so much, Eva. Thank you so much, Gino. It was such a pleasure to have this conversation. Really brought me joy. Thank you for listening to The Journey to Impact. If you enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word by subscribing to this series on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends on your favorite social media platform. For a preview of our previous or upcoming episodes, visit www.poetryofimpact.com.